Well, good morning, church. Good to see you all. Let's pray and we'll go ahead and get started. Father, I want to thank you for this day. Lord, I pray that each of us would recognize it's a gift from you. And you tell us that we ought to rejoice and be glad in it. Now, Father, today I pray that we've gathered here to worship you and to lift up your name. That, Lord, that we would have a sense of your presence. And, Lord, for me personally, I pray for wisdom. I pray, Father, for clarity of speech. And I pray, Father, that, Lord, that you might speak to me, to the hearts of your children. And so, Lord, please take charge of this service. And may your will be done. Through the blessing of Jesus Christ, we do pray. Amen. Amen. Well, amen. I like those amens. Thank you. Turn with me to the book of Ephesians in chapter 1. And uh, over the next few uh, Sundays, I'm going to be bringing some messages out of uh, Ephesians until we start our Easter series, which will probably be uh, sometime in the middle of March. But uh, I want to talk to you this morning just about the first two verses, uh, because the title of the message is, You Mean I'm a Saint? You know, because sometimes, you know, there's a lot in uh, names, and I'm going to be talking about a couple names this morning to tell you what the meaning is, and I always believe that uh, you should learn and find out the meaning of your name and then live up to your name. So this morning, as we uh, look at the book of Ephesians, let me start with it. i uh, just tell you a little bit about a, of Ephesus. Ephesus uh, was a city on the uh, coast of Asia Minor. Uh, it was a city among 230 cities that dotted that coast. However, Ephesus at, the, at this time was the queen of those cities. It was, uh, had a great harbor. It was established right on a major uh, highway of Asia Minor, Minor, and it also had a very fertile farmland plain, rich soil. But also it had the, the Temple of Diana, which was one of the wonders of the world, and it had a thriving silversmith industry. In fact, there was a lot of tourism. Uh, because they didn't take care of their harbor, uh, eventually what happened is the harbor filled it with silt and ships couldn't dock there. So one of the other cities became the chief harbor because of their silversmith uh, industry uh, still remained a very major, major city. Now, Paul visited the city the first time in uh, 53 AD and uh, he didn't stay long, but he found 12 um, Disciples there. He found 12 Christians there that had been led to the Lord by Apollos. Uh, their doctrine wasn't quite what it ought to be. If you remember, he had to retrain Apollos into the, the doctrine of, of Christ and the revelation that God had given him. Uh, but, but he only stayed there just a, you know, a couple of weeks and then he left. But on his third missionary journey, he returned and he stayed there for two years. And he uh, pretty much uh, built a really good, strong church for the Lord. In fact, he evangelized that whole area there to the point that uh, the silversmiths uh, kind of rebelled against him. And a lot of uh, difficulty uh, transpired and, and he left Ephesus. But he had a very strong church there. So about 10 years later, when he was uh, in prison in Rome, uh, he wrote this book, this letter to the Ephesians. And it was a circular letter, so it just didn't go to Ephesians. It went to Colossae and a few of the other cities. But he wanted them to know the truths and the doctrines and the things that God had taught him over the year. And he, and he, lo and he loved their city. So the first thing I want us to look at this morning is the call of uh, Paul to be an apostle. Now, you, you notice as he says this, and let me read these two verses. It says, Paul, an apostle of Jesus Christ, by the will of God. 
to the saints who are in Ephesus and faithful in Christ Jesus, grace to you and peace from God, our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. Now, if you notice, he says, my call to be an apostle has come from God. Later on, when he wrote the Galatians, he says, I'm an apostle called by God, not by man. And in a few minutes, I'm going to explain that to you because Paul had great difficulties. And I'm going to tell you why. But first of all, I want to look at uh, Paul's call. And he, uh, on every, every aspect, he qualified to be an apostle. Uh, because basically, there were six directives to be an apostle. First of all, uh, they had to receive their commission directly from the living lips of Jesus. If you notice, Jesus himself chose all the apostles. And if you remember, on the Damascus Road, Paul saw Jesus and he was given his directive and he went to Damascus and then he talked to Ananias and was told everything God wanted him to do. So he did receive his call directly from the, uh, from the lips of Jesus. An apostle had to have seen the Savior after his resurrection. Paul qualified in that aspect. The apostles exercised a very special inspiration. That God had given them a special wisdom uh, and revelation. And the apostles were the... Were the at that time, and even to this day, were the highest you know, individuals uh, in the, in the uh, uh, list of, of church leaders. And we, ladies and gentlemen, we do not have apostles today because they passed away because nobody today can meet this criteria. Uh, they had to exercise, they exercised supreme authority. Uh, you know, years ago I was reading in, in Corinth in the, in the book, and I heard Paul say, and he gave him instructions because, you know, the, the, the church in Corinth was just a, it was a church that was having all kinds of difficulty. They were uh, doing things they shouldn't be doing. They, had, they were teaching false doctrine. And so he, spent, he wrote uh, several letters uh, to Corinth. And then one of them, he said, please do this out of love. Don't make me come with a rod. And so uh, they, had, they had extreme uh, authority. Uh, they also had the authority and the power to work miracles. And the sixth thing, they were given a universal commission for the foundation of the early churches. So as I said, Paul definitely met these requirements. Now, all of his ministry, Paul had to assert his apostleship. He struggled. Uh, everywhere he went, he had a group of people called the Judaizers following him. And they were constantly uh, accusing him of not being an apostle. They were constantly teaching him, uh, saying that, hey, he... He taught a false doctrine because under their doctrine, in order to be a Christian, you first had to enter the Jewish family. You had to, be, you had to become a, a, a member of the Jewish community. You had to keep their, the Jewish laws. And yet, in the 15th chapter of the book of Acts, we have a business meeting where they were fussing and fighting. Now, ladies and gentlemen, you know, people always say, well, Herb, you know, I think you're wrong on this aspect. And I told somebody this morning, you can disagree with me all you want. It, I promise you, it does not bother me. Because if you want to be wrong, that's up to you. But the thing, you all, some of you all caught that. But the thing is, is they had, they had a, a tremendous uh, business meeting and they were fussing and fighting. And that's the reason I always tell people that the early Christians were Baptists. Because, you know, we have business meetings, we fuss and fight, you know. Uh, but we always come out good on the, in the end. But they, they decided that the, the Gentile believers did not have to become Jewish first. They didn't have to receive Christ after they became Jew. That they could receive Christ just like uh, they did. And they could receive the Holy Spirit just like they did. And in fact, Peter said, 
you know that I'm the first one that ever led a Gentile to the Lord. We know Paul had the ministry of Gentiles, but but uh, Peter was the first one to, to lead uh, a Gentile to Lord Cornelius. But here's why here's why Paul had such a had such a difficulty. You all remember that Jesus, when he appeared to his disciples, said, "Go to Jerusalem and wait." Now, can I ask you a question? What does wait mean? It means wait. But they're up there, and you know, you know, Peter, he's got that, you know, high eye, you know, personality. You know, he's got to be doing something. He got tired of waiting. So he said, okay, guys, listen. He says, you know, one of us have, have fallen. Judas has fallen. He's went and hung himself. And so we're short one apostle. So they chose two men. But they couldn't make up their mind which man they wanted to be, uh, to be the, the apostle. So they prayed and said, Lord, you show us. They threw, they threw the, 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 the dice and the dice fell on Manathias. And so he was declared the replacement for Judas. Now, first of all, Manathias did not receive his commission from Jesus. And, you know, this, is, this has always bothered me. And, you know, and we do this today. We come up with a plan. Uh, we don't seek God first. We come up with a plan. We come up with a strategy. And then we pray and say, oh, God. Bless our plan. Well, it may not be his plan. It's our plan. And I've often wondered why they did not pray and say, Lord, if you want us to, uh, to find this new apostle for you, choose one of us and let us be so known to us that we'd have to backside. But they didn't do that. They picked the two and they said, Lord, of the two we picked, which one do you want? And so because of that, Paul, his whole life, struggled with his apostleship. Because he's always being accused of not being an apostle. So we wanted, we wanted to look at the call of Paul. Secondly, I want to talk for a few minutes the call of God to believers. You know, Paul's address to the believers, he, he, he addressed them as saints. Now, names are important. You know, a person's name is their identity. And uh, almost all names have a meaning. For example, Donald means ruler of the world. Amen. Yeah, yeah. I thought you liked that, Don. That's because I picked your name. You know. <laughs> I knew I'd get one amen this morning. Praise Jesus. But you take, for example, John, which is from the Hebrew, means Yahweh is gracious. Now, I wanted to show, share with John... And Don, because my name means, now can you believe this? means mighty leader, glorious warrior, diligent worker. It's hard to live up to that kind of a name. But, but when, you look at, when you look at the word saint, it means set apart, consecrated, sacred, holy. A saint is a follower of the Lord Jesus Christ who has been set apart to live for God. We've been sanctified to live for God. In the Bible, the word saint does not refer to just a few people who have done great works for God. You know, last week I shared with you, Satan always counterfeits everything that God's doing. Every cult out there, every, every false church out there is a, is a counterfeit of the Christian community. And a lot of them, and, and, and will teach 99 truths, but then there'd be one false lie in there that makes it a cult that sets it aside. Say it's not a true church of the Lord and Savior Jesus Christ. Satan loves the counterfeit 
what Christ is doing. So that's the reason we need to go to the Word and judge everything by what the Word of God says. The Word of God is our plumb line. It's a, it's a keep us from going to the left or to the right, but to keep us pure and keep us going towards, let's say, the North Star. So I was sitting in my office at home this week, well, you know, last week basically, and I was telling Peggy, my administrative assistant, I finally learned, I don't call them secretaries anymore, but the thing is, is I was, I was contemplating. Now that, that word simply means I was deep in thought. I was staring out my window, and I, I got thinking, if Paul lived today, and use the criteria that we use today for saints. What is the criteria? Well, the criteria is that the, an individual who is set aside and declared a saint is someone who's led an exemplary life. Who of us can live an exemplary life? Who can live a sinless life outside of Jesus? But they live an exemplary life. They die. They're dead for a few years, and then it's proven that they've done you know, a miracle or two. And if they find all this, then they set them aside as a saint. Well, I was sitting there, and I get, I get crazy thoughts. So, you know, if you all, uh, if I come up with something and say, where in the world did he get that? Just, it was during my staring out the window. But stop and think. If Paul lived today, and he was writing to saints under the criteria we use for saints today, guess what? He'd be writing a bunch of dead people. Think about that. Folks. You may not consider yourself a saint, but according to the word of God, we're saints. We've been set aside to live for God. We've been set aside for his service. We've been set aside to communicate, to communicate, that's communicate, to communicate the gospel of Jesus Christ to all the world. We are saints. And I told somebody one time years ago, you know, and it came from the football game. If you're not a saint, you're an ain't. Now, here, yeah, stay with me, stay with me. Here's the thing, when you, stop and look, and when you stop and look at this, a saint is not somebody who's sinless. That's what we think. Ladies and gentlemen, you're a saint if you're a faithful believer, if you're an unfaithful believer. Uh, I wish I could stand here and tell you that in the 50-something years that I've been a Christian, that I've always lived the life I should have lived. I wish I could stand here and tell you this morning... I've never done anything I shouldn't have done. I wish I could tell you that, that, that last week I didn't do something I shouldn't have done. Because ladies and gentlemen, we all sin. We, we don't always keep God's will perfectly. But God declares us saints because of what Jesus Christ did for us. And so, you know, you're a saint whether you're living a life you ought to or you're not living a life you ought to. You, if you're a believer in Jesus Christ... You need to understand this. All believers in Christ are, are in Christ whether they're living like they ought to or they're living like they shouldn't. And I, I tell you what, I have seen over my years of ministry deacons coming down the, the aisle of the church. Sunday school teachers coming down the aisle of the church. I've seen pastors coming down the aisle of the church heartbroken. Asking God to forgive them. And he does. He does. So don't, don't think, well, hey, if, I, if I'm a saint, then I've got to, you know, that means I live a perfect life. No, you don't live a perfect life. That's the reason we have Jesus. Think about it. That's the reason we have Jesus. But God declares that we've been sanctified and that we're saints. And Paul understood this. He says to all the saints. Now, do you think all of the, 
Christians in Ephesus were living an exemplary life? Absolutely not. I'll guarantee you they weren't. But he said to all the saints in Ephesus. So we're saints not because we deserve to be saints. Not because we're worthy to be saints. But we're saints because Christ died for us. But you look at that. He says to the saints who are in Ephesus and faithful in Christ Jesus. Now, when we look at that word faithful... It says believers are faithful, and what it means, they're faithful because they have put their trust, their whole trust, in Jesus as Son of God, Lord and Savior. That's what makes them faithful. They believe Jesus, and because they believe Jesus and they committed their life to Jesus, they're faithful. Doesn't mean they're always faithful, but they're faithful in the aspect that they belong to Christ. Ladies and gentlemen, they're like Paul. Remember Paul wrote, he says, I am persuaded... That God is able to keep that which I have given to him until that day. And I was, what was he persuaded about? He was persuaded that his soul was safe. And that it was bound for eternity. And he believed Jesus at his word. That he was preparing a place for him. And that one day he would stand before God. And he would be received into heaven. And he would receive that. Which God had promised him. You know when you think about that. You look in the Old Testament. And you know that verse. Where it says. Abraham believed God. And he counted unto him for righteousness. So. That word. Faithful. As it is here in Ephesians. Does not mean that a person always living faithful. It means that because you have received Jesus Christ. As your Lord and Savior. God counts you faithful. And your position, and I, I, I constantly share this with people because it's just, it's just so important. I even mentioned to you last week that our position before God is always a position of righteousness. That don't mean we're always righteous, but that's our position. The key is, is to match your position with your Walk. I don't. I don't always walk as I ought to. I, I, you know, my my walk does not always match my position, but my position cannot be changed. Unfortunately, sometimes my walk is not what it ought to be. So you know, just understand, you are a saint. I used to there years ago when I was at uh, on staff full time at uh, Cross Life. Uh, there for a while, I had everybody in the office calling each other, "How you doing, Saint Bob?" How, how, how you doing, St. Dr. Mercer? That was a mouthful. How you doing, St. Her? You know, so, you know, we're saints. And we're faithful because we have believed Jesus Christ as our Lord and Savior. So, we looked at the call of, of Paul. That he was an apostle, apostle. He was called by Jesus Christ. He's faithful. And, and, we, and we've looked at the truth. Uh, we looked at the call of the believers that we're called to be saints and that we're, 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 we're appreciated by God because we've trusted Jesus Christ as our Lord and Savior. So he declares us faithful. But I want to kind of spend a few minutes on the truth of grace and the place and peace in the believer's life. You know, 
Grace is God's amazing favor and love. You know, an acronym for grace is God's riches at Christ's expense. Grace is always um, freely given. Uh, there's two main ideas when we think of grace. A certain loveliness in the Christian life. You know, ladies and gentlemen, a Christianity with, which is not characterized by love, by kindness, by graciousness, is unattractive. And it's not real Christianity. That, that's the reason it, it, it breaks my heart when I hear churches being unruly. Um, it breaks my heart that, that churches sometimes, they lose their um, privilege in the community. Uh, they lose their witness in the community. Uh, years ago, I had a doctor when I lived in Georgia who was my doctor, named Dr. Tanner, tremendous doctor. And he became my visitation partner. And we were out making visits one night. I'll never forget this. We were out making visits one night. We were driving down Highway 29, and we passed a church that had split from our church about seven, eight years before that. And a beautiful church, all brand new buildings. And our church was a downtown church. The buildings were, you know, not brand new. They'd been there for a while. But this was a beautiful church as far as the building. Beautiful auditorium, beautiful Christian Life Center, beautiful education. Because everything was new. Everything was new. And Dr. Tanner said, and it was on a hill. Now, we, you know, it's all flat right in there. But this, this, there was a hill here. And it was up there on the hill. And you could see it coming up and down the highway. And Dr. Tanner said, I was going to join that church. But my neighbor told me not to go to that church. Because it was a fighting church. Ladies and gentlemen, what kind of testimony is that? In a community. And they lost a tremendous Christian believer. Because that's the reputation they have in the community. See, a church ought to be full of grace. A church ought to be in one accord. A church ought to be on mission for God. A church ought to be such a loving place that it's a, it's a little slice of heaven right here on earth that attracts men and women and boys and girls to come because they know they're going to find acceptance there. They know they're going to find love there. They're going to, know, they're going to find people full of grace and kindness and mercy. Years ago, I had the, I had the privilege... And this was way back before God ever called me into the ministry. And ladies and gentlemen, when I share things with you, I only share with you things that I know that I've lived. But my pastor at that time, Dr. Carl Marshall, came to me. And he said, Brother Herb, he says, we've got about 40 women coming to church and their husbands don't come. Would you start a Sunday school class to reach those men? I'll give you a list of the men. I said, absolutely. I'll do that. And I got a good friend of mine by the name of Larry Ingram. And I asked him to be my outreach leader and every week we were going out and we were visiting men on that list we just show up at the door and you know even if they said it's a bad time we do the baptist grin <laughs> you know they said oh, be careful those guys they're a bunch of blooming idiots you know so so but we started making contact with those men and for for about six or seven weeks every sunday i taught the sunday school lesson to larry as if i had a hundred people in that class but we went and we went and we went. And finally, I never forget this. After about seven or eight weeks, 
one guy show, showed up and we were so glad to see him. We slobbered all over him. You know, we kissed him on the cheek, said, welcome, brother. But God was gracious. And he started bringing men. And I have a point to this story. One guy came. He had, uh, he was uh, on, the, he was a member of the church. And he uh, had was saved in that church. His family was in that church. And he kept getting social promotions. You all know what a social promotion is in a church? That's when you're as a child, you're in a Sunday school class. And when they, when they go to the next level, they just promote you to the next level. And so, you know, he hadn't been in church in years. We'd call him. We'd go visit him. And I'll never forget. He said, one of these days, guys, I'm going to surprise. I'm going to come. One of these days, I'm going to come. He said, I'm always afraid. It's been so long since I've been in church. I haven't been there since I was a teenager. That if I walk in, the uh, uh, ceiling's going to crack and the roof's going to fall down. I said, don't worry about that. We can replace that. We want you to come. And i never forget. Larry and I were out visiting one night. And we got to Larry's house, and Larry says, let's call Jenkins. I said, we'll do that. So we got down, and we prayed, and I picked up the phone, and I called him. I said, man, we're really, we'd love for you to come. Please, please come. Please come tomorrow. And he says, well, I'll think about it. We hung up the phone. <laughs> we prayed. Larry picked up the phone and said, hey, you know, I'm in Herb's class, and we really want you to come. We really want you to come. The next morning, he came. And he started coming every week because he enjoyed the common area of the men. And later on, he was ordained as a deacon and became a member of that church. But here's the point I wanted to, want to make. That group of men in Lilburn, Georgia, they, they, to me, they were, and they've always been what a church ought to be like. We had the banker, president of the bank, local bank, sitting here. And right next to him, we had a guy that rode a garbage truck. And over here, we, we had a guy that did lawns. And over here, we had a guy that owned a business, everything. And those men loved one another. And there was no status. There, 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 there was nothing because, hey, you're the banker and I'm the garbage. They loved one another. And they worked together. Ladies and gentlemen, that's what a church will be like. When you come in, when you, a church is all one. And they have the grace of God. And so because they have the grace of God, they can be gracious to one another. And so... It had a Christianity which is unattractive because there's no graciousness. It's not the, 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 the church of Jesus Christ. Grace describes a gift, a gift which would have been impossible for an individual to procure on, his, on their own and which they never earn and in no way deserve. That's grace. Whenever we mention the word grace, we must think of the sheer lovingness of the Christian life and the sheer undeserved generosity of the heart of God. Grace is God's means by which he saves us. He gives us what we don't deserve and he withholds from us what we do deserve. That is the grace of God. And if God, you're right, brother, sister, if, if God can show that grace to us, cannot we, as a Christian community, show grace to one another? And can we not show grace to our community? And can we not turn the other cheek? Ladies and gentlemen, 
I have found this place to be very loving, very kind. You're on fire for the Lord, and I'm excited. But you say, well, Herb, why are you preaching this? Because if you remember, when the temple of God in the time of Solomon was dedicated, and the Shekinah glory of God filled that temple, that's when God said, if my people will turn and pray and seek my face, I will heal their land. Their, hand didn't, their, their land didn't need healing at the time. But years down the road, God, because of his foreknowledge, knew they would. And ladies and gentlemen, knowing churches, if we don't stay on fire, if we don't stay loving one another, then, then we're going to need this message. We may not need it today. But I want you to remember that God loves us. And it's through grace that we're saved. And we can show grace to the other. And then we, it, lastly, peace is the Old Testament word shalom. And it's just not a feeling of, of quiet, but it's the well-being of our whole lives. The word denotes a whole soundness, a prosperity, a, that, that we're complete. True peace is peace with God because of our sins are forgiven. Folks, when you know who you are, and the reason I wanted to preach this this morning is when you know who you are, you're more apt to do what God wants you to do. If, if we don't know who we are in Christ, if, if we feel, and, and, and Satan accuses us, what right do you have to do this? You've got all this sin in your life. And what you need to do is look at Mr. Satan, spit in his eye, and remember, greater is he that's in you than he's in the world. And tell Satan, get behind me, because I'm a child of God. I'm a prince of the kingdom of God. I'm part of the royal family, and you have nothing to do with me. And I had the right... To do whatever God wants me to do. Regardless. Of where I am at any given time. Why? Because my position. Is righteousness. So. Our sins can never be forgiven. Until we know something. Of the grace of God. We can never be who God wants us to be. Until we know who we are in God. And I want you to understand something, brothers and sisters. You will never have peace until you have the grace of God. You never will. And if you read the Bible, Paul always says, grace and peace, grace and peace, grace and peace. He never says peace and grace because you can never have peace until you have the grace of God. So, as we come to a conclusion this morning, remember, Paul was persecuted his whole ministry. But he remained faithful. Paul never quit but we remain faithful his whole life to his Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. This morning, I want to challenge you to remain faithful. Do not be influenced by the world. But as a saint of God, influence your world. You know, I got thinking this past week when I was preparing this message. And it took me back to when I was a teenager. And I, I just want to tell you something my dad used to always tell me. He'd say, boy... Never, and I never left the house until he, and he said, he always said this. He said, remember what family you belong to. And I knew exactly what he meant. Don't do anything that would embarrass the family. Remember what family you belong to. Ladies and gentlemen, this morning, I want you to remember that you belong to the family of God. Remember, God loves you and has declared that you are a saint. Therefore, live up to the name and remember what family you belong to. 
And if you're here this morning and you don't know for certain that you're part of this family, and I'm not talking necessarily just this church, we'd love for you to be part of this church, but if, you're not, if you don't know for sure that you're part of this family, I would share with you to come and join us. Come and, 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 and know the Lord as your Lord and Savior. Because God wants you. He sent his son to die for you. And he did that for no other reason than you can be part of his family. Don't miss next week's sermon. Because next week I'm going to talk about predestination. I'm going to take predestination off. And please don't bring anything you can throw at me. Because some of you may not agree with me. And remember, you don't have to agree with me. You can be wrong if you want to. But this morning, as we conclude... I would like for you to fill out one of these cards. And on the back it says, my decision today. If you don't know, absolutely know, without any doubt that you're a child of God. And you can remember when you put that stake down. Not that you've been baptized. Ladies and gentlemen, if baptism could bring you into the fellowship of God and part of his family, Jesus never would die, had to die on the cross. The Bible says, without a shedding of blood, there is no forgiveness of sin. There had to be a blood sacrifice. Secondly, there had to be a convicting power of the Holy Spirit. And thirdly, there had to be a human witness telling you what Christ has done and let the Holy Spirit draw you into his family. So if you can't remember a time when you bowed your head and gave your life to Christ, please do so this morning. I'm going to pray in a few minutes. If you have a prayer request, please write down your prayer request. And I'm going to ask you to do me a favor because I do. You know, that's how I spend most of my day. Uh, Peggy would tell you. Uh, I go over these prayer requests, and I, I pray over every one of them. If you would do me a great favor and please print, it would help me. Uh, I can't read my own writing, so how do you expect me to read yours? You know what I'm saying? So if you'll do that for me, I'd appreciate it, and I promise you I will pray. But this morning, share with us anything you want us to know. And I'm going to encourage you next week to bring somebody with you. Uh, you know... Be an active saint. And I want to say one other thing. And I'm going to pray. Thank you so much for putting up with a guy who's seasoned. Let's pray. Some of you, some of you all will catch that. <laughs> Father, we want to thank you for this day. I thank you, Father, for Cross Life East Campus. I thank you for the hard work that so many of the leaders do. Lord, I thank you, Father, uh, for their faithfulness. But Father, this morning, I pray. If there's anyone here who does not know absolutely sure that if they were to die today, that they go with, be with you in heaven, Lord, I pray that today, right now, they would just pray this simple prayer. Lord, I know I'm a sinner. I know I need forgiveness. I believe that Jesus Christ is your son. And he died for me. I ask you to forgive me of my sin. I commit my life to you. I receive your son, Jesus Christ, as my Lord and Savior. Thank you for saving me. In Jesus' name. And so, Lord, I pray and I ask you, Father, to touch the hearts of your people and to touch the heart of anyone who don't know for sure that they're one of your children. And, Lord, I pray that you bless them today and bless them all through the week and bring us back next week that once again we might praise you through music and we might study your word together. Through the blessing of Jesus Christ, I do pray. Amen.